I wonder if you can turn in your Bibles to John chapter 1. And after worship like that, I'm just always going, Lord, what do you want to do? We can just go home, honestly, because sometimes, sometimes we come with a plan, but what the Lord wanted to do is already accomplished in the Spirit. And we've had services where we just worship and continue to worship, and then you're like, okay, let's go home. Because it's, the Lord sets the table, not leaders, the Lord. The leaders are called to pick up what He wants to do and to partner with Him. That's it. Amen? But last week, we started a, a series, it wasn't going to be a series, it is now, um, called Unto the Lord, and we're looking at ministry, and because the, the Bible says that, that, that believers are actually uh, salt, light, and leaven. Leaven is almost always used in regards to sin in the Bible, but Jesus talked about that believers are like leaven, meaning it only takes a little bit to change an entire lump, and that we are like leaven in the world. The Bible says that we are salt that shouldn't lose its saltiness. In other words, when you stay close to the Lord and you stay updated with the Lord. And sometimes salt will burn. Yeah? Because salt will burn an open wound. When you bring truth, you can bring a truth that may burn or may feel like, uh, to the world. But any mother, any father would bind their child's wound. It may hurt in the binding, but they do it so it can repair. It's to bring truth in love. If you love your child, you do that. And so we are called to be salt and light, obviously light in the darkness. And there's so much going on in the world right now. There are many places all throughout the world that even it feels like the fabric of society is being eroded. But I'm here to tell you, this has happened before. It's nothing new. This has happened before. You can go and study history. There's repeated cycles. This is not taking the Lord by surprise. And I believe with all my heart that there's a great opportunity for the church in this, what some would say, crazy hour. And if we can turn our hearts this year, hello, Rebecca. If we can, sorry, if we can turn our hearts this year outward and begin to ask the Lord to teach us to have His eyes for people, because there are people that will ask questions now that didn't ask questions before. There are people that are going to be desperate now that weren't before. And we have to remember what it is and why we are put here. Yes, it's to walk with the Lord, but it's to also bring as many people as we can, but you cannot force them. You cannot say, Lord, how can we be naturally, because you know every single one of you, God has naturally equipped, naturally, to actually turn the hearts of those around you. But we super spiritualize it and we think it's going to look like this. When for you it may be hospitality. For you it may be going to the gym. You know, there was a gentleman when I got saved, uh, when I, should I say, when I came back to the Lord as a crazy young man that I was, and he just started going to the gym with me. Because that's all I wanted to do was work out. And he just started doing that with me. And it bugged me because he was stronger than me and better than me. And he just started to love me. Preach to me. There are divine giftings and abilities in every person unique to you that God has positioned you, that his spirit is upon you to bring change to others around you. And it's probably not going to look like this. It's going to look like you. It's very, very important. And that is literally what we can call ministry. So we're going to read a large portion of Scripture really fast because of the time, my goodness. And obviously we're going to have to continue with some of this next week. But we're looking at the life of John the Baptist a little bit. Just as a, a, 
a picture of New Testament ministry. Now remember, Jesus is our picture, not John the Baptist. But there are things about his life. His entire life was unto the Lord. I said it last week. He lived his entire life unto the Lord for a few years of ministry, and then he was gone. And there's something about a life that is actually, Lord, I'm going to become who you've actually called me to become. Not only is it, the, is it the Lord's will for your life, and people think about that like, well, I better do that then, like, you know, God's going to be angry. It's not like that, friends. It is the most fulfilling thing you could ever do for you. Is the happiest you will ever be is in the will of God. It is the most joy you will ever have. It is the most peace you will ever have. It doesn't mean that life will be easy. It doesn't mean that tragedies and things won't happen. But in it, it will be different. It will be different. He's with you in it, and you know it, and you walk through it. And every person is different. And because we super-spiritualize it, we miss how basic and simple it is to reach people for the Lord. We think door-to-door evangelism. We think like standing up on a stage. We think we have to know all of apologetics and all the questions that will come. You'll be amazed how many desperate people, how many desperate people are just waiting for someone to ask them a question, just waiting for someone to put their arm around them, waiting for someone to love them even though they're doing ugly things. You'll be amazed. They are all around you. So, Can we go read a big portion of Scripture? We're going to read almost a full chapter. You guys ready? We read this last week. We're going to read it fast, but it doesn't mean it's not important. John 1, I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. Uh, In the beginning, the Word already existed, speaking about Jesus. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. The Word gave life to everything that was created. That that Word is Jesus. And His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. God sent a man. I said this last week. This is how this whole thing started. Is that it gives you five verses about basically the preeminence of Christ, the deity of Christ, the preexistence of Christ. And then it says, so God sent a man. And that pierced my heart when I was away, being surrounded by people who had no concept of God whatsoever. That God sent a man. God sent a woman. And it says, God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. Do you know, I'm trying to just read. Lord, help me. God always has a person, a place, and a house or a home. Always, all through the Bible. God will always have a person that he's ministering to or a person that he sends. He will always have a place and he will always have a house. Even if you look at Paul's conversion, the Lord shows up to Ananias, a person, and says, go to Straight Street, to the house of Judas in Damascus. It's so specific. God will always have a person God will always have a home that he's prepared, and God will always have a place. And God has called us, you can right now, without becoming perfect, without becoming a super saint, right now as you sit here, you have a divine ability of God within you, even if you don't know it, to be that person, to be that place, to be that home, or to go to that home. You have it. 
We just are learning to partner with the Lord in it. Doesn't make you perfect. Trust me, if everyone who preached was as good as you thought they were, the world would be different. Normal people just functioning with the Lord. So, verse 8, John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. So simple. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. So, you think it's wrong to be rejected for being open with the truth? Obviously, don't be obnoxious and sometimes not even overt. Sometimes win the heart first. But when people try to build their ministry instead of build the kingdom, what happens is it has to become about results because it's about my ministry. But even Jesus Christ was rejected. Hello. He didn't make it about, you know, how many people. And Peter won many more people to the Lord in one message that Jesus won in three years. Because he had the Holy Spirit. Jesus, they, the crowds loved to come, but then the miracles are over, they went home. And they didn't want Jesus in their home. The Bible says he had no place to lay his head. He was sleeping up outside on the Mount of Olives, or in Bethany he was always hosted well. Why? People don't want to bring Jesus into the home. They're like, we'll go to church, blessed, and then we'll go home and continue. And fighting or whatever. And then we go to church, oh Jesus, and we go home. Even in the natural, Jesus had to sleep outside sometimes. I hope this is making sense. I'm hearing some of this for the first time too. So verse 10, he came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people. They rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right. That word right is authority, exousia. He gave the authority to become children of God. And they are reborn. Not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the Word, Jesus, became human and made His home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen His glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. John testified about Him when he shouted to the crowds, This is the one. I was talking about when I said, someone is coming after me who is far greater than I, for he existed long before me, even though John was older in the natural. From his abundance, we have all received one gracious blessing after another. There's a major clue in the New Testament truth right there. He's saying in this new covenant, it's about what you receive, not about what you do. We have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Think about this. No one had ever thought about this. John's announcement here is saying Jesus is eternal. Jesus will change the dispensation of covenants. Jesus has lived forever. Jesus is the one who will take sin away from the world. They didn't even know that this was an issue. They thought the law was for that. He announces a whole bunch of truths that were never before seen, understood, heard, ever. This man, John the Baptist. And he says, For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing, and faith, unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. 
No one has ever seen God, but the unique one, who is himself God, is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. This was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders sent priests. And let me just say this. This is strong in my heart. People who say, God, yes, but Jesus, no. I'll just be blunt because I don't have the time. They're thinking or focusing on the wrong God. It's a false God, a demon spirit, a something that is not God the Father. Because only Jesus can reveal the Father. Sorry, but that is what it says. Doesn't make them bad people. Oh, that was a bit feisty. (laughs) This was John's testimony when the Jewish leader sent priests and temple assistants from Jerusalem to ask John, Who are you? He came right out and said, I am not the Messiah. That's a good sign of a good ministry. I'm not the answer. Well, then, who are you? They asked. Are you Elijah? No, he replied. Are you the prophet we are expecting? No. Then who are you? We need an answer for those who sent us. What do you have to say about yourself? John replied in the words of the prophet. It's a great clue. Answer what the Lord says about you, not what people say about you. I'm a voice shouting in the wilderness, clear the way for the Lord's coming. Then the Pharisees who had been sent asked him, if you aren't the Messiah or Elijah or the prophet, what right do you have to baptize? Listen to this. John told them, I baptize with water. But here in the, right, right here in the crowd is someone you do not recognize. The world and God's people cannot even recognize the Messiah without the Holy Spirit. Cannot. It's an impossibility because you are not spiritually discerned. I met a man while I was away who had one of the most incredible encounters with God that I've ever heard about. And I've heard about a lot of encounters. I mean, I have never heard anything like this. And he had no clue what had happened or what it meant. No clue. He was asking questions like, what does that mean? I'm like, my brain is like, do you understand what just happened? You know? And he said, no, I haven't told anyone. I don't think I'm crazy. I mean, this incredible encounter with the Lord. He had, why? He told me one thing. He's not born again. He can't, he can't be spiritually discerned. Just because you have an encounter with the Lord doesn't make you saved. I'll explain that one one day. <laughs> so what right? He says, I baptize water. And then he says, uh, it says, this encounter, verse 28 took place in Bethany, an area east of the Jordan River where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw, verse 29, Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, he is the one I was talking about when I said, A man is coming after me who is greater than I am, for he existed long before me. I did not recognize him as the Messiah. I said this last week. Every ministry, God has put ministries in you, God has given you gifts, abilities. They are ministries through which you serve people. You have one, you have many. But there are ministries within us. And it is the action, the practical actions that we take. For some of you, it's hospitality. For some of you, it's preaching. For some of you, it's playing the piano. For some of you, there's something that God has put in you that when you start to do that, some of you, it's business. Some of you, it doesn't matter what it is. There's diverse. 
For some of you, it's something so simple, so natural. Like I said, for some of you, it's in the gym. You start to do something practical, normal, every single day that you do, not realizing there are parts of your life that the Holy Spirit is upon. That every time you start to do that thing, every time you start to just function in that normal activity, the Spirit of God rests upon you to turn people's hearts. But because it doesn't look like this, you don't see it for what it is. John said, I didn't know who it was, but the Lord gave me an action, something to do, baptizing. And he said, as I do it, I myself first will learn to see who the Messiah is. And God will give you something that even in yourself will teach you to recognize the Lord. And then he will use you in that thing that other people will recognize the Lord through you. It's exactly the same. He says, I did not recognize him as the Messiah, but I have been baptizing with water. Why? So that he might be revealed to Israel, the heart of all true ministry, to reveal the Lord Jesus Christ, not myself. Then John testified, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and resting upon him. I didn't know he was the one, but God But when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me, the one on whom you see the Spirit descend and rest is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I saw this happen to Jesus. How simple is this? So I testify that he is the chosen one of God. It is very funny to me. It's literally John was baptizing. Like, nah. Baptizing? No. Literally. Waiting. And he obviously had incredible encounters with God. God gave him details. But what he didn't do was stand up and say, let me tell you about these encounters. Oh boy, stepping on some toes. Let me tell you about these encounters I've had. He didn't do that. He just did what he was told to do when he had them. Go and do it. All right. Started baptizing. Said the one on whom you see the Spirit descend, and said, sorry, verse 35. The following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples, John the Baptist's disciples, and as Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, Look, there is the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Again, sign of true ministry. Every ministry, we I know this is still recap, and we will get we will go a little bit longer today, but We won't go past quarter two. Every ministry will include an altar, an anointing, an area, like a physical area or an area of life, an action, and an attitude. We went over this last week. And the altar, I I don't have the time to recap. They're all very important. Every life will bring you to altars, places of sacrifice. But when you learn that an altar is not just a place of sacrifice, it's also a place of worship. It is there that your heart will start to see things from his perspective and you will receive strength to walk out of something that you're in at an altar. Every person, every true ministry, even the gift you have in you, will come to an altar, will come to a place of difficulty or sacrifice, and when we can worship in it, there is something that changes. Every ministry has an altar. Every ministry has an anointing. A gift and anointing. The gift and anointing is not from you. You can earn it. It's a gift, but it will function and operate through you as you learn to partner with the Lord 
in very practical ways. Every single ministry has an action, stuff you practically do. I've gone over that, an area, but I want to focus on attitude. We ended with this last week. Why? Just very quickly, I want to focus on attitude. Just a few things. Why? Because your life, life in general, will bring you to many altars, many difficult times, or many times of deep worship where you don't know what else to do, so you go to the Lord, you go to the altar. Life will bring you there. The anointing the Lord gives you. The area God puts you in. None of those things really are up to you. But your attitude, oh, that determines a lot because that is something that you choose. And every person in, like, ministries we have in us, the attitudes we have, attitudes will become attributes. Can you say that with me? Every attitude will become attributes. And it's in our attitude we choose which kingdom to magnify. See, I have a magnifying glass with me. This was given to me by a youth many years ago. It's great. Real deer antler, I think. And when you talk about people say magnify the Lord, I always used to think, how? He's already big. Like, I can't make him bigger. It's not about that. But it's about him becoming big in my sight. Where I don't see anything else but him. Because I'm magnifying him. It's also the other way around. I can't magnify the sun, the physical sun, but I can take this and I can put it down on an ant. Oh no, okay, a leaf. All the, all the, my wife lives, ah. My mother's totally, she's disowned me right now. But I can, like I used to, you know, you can take it and be like, you can take the sun's power, right? Okay, get over it, it's okay. All ants go to heaven to say no, no. <laughs> you can take the sun's power and magnify it to a spot. Depending on our attitude and our perspective, we choose which kingdom we magnify, both in our sight and in its effect and power in our life and through. Depending on attitude. Not your anointing, that's given. Not the altar, life will bring you there. Not the area, that God gives you. And not even the action you take, because you already do that without knowing it, depending on your attitude. So, practical kingdom attitudes. I'm going to give you five. We'll do maybe one this week. These are the five. Focus on the ministry, meaning the gospel, the greater ministry we all share in. And then your ministry will come into greater clarity. Don't try to build your ministry. God will do that. God said to David, you think you're going to build me a house? Nah. You build, you focus on, in a sense, extending the kingdom. God will take care of your ministry. Which we'll get into that today. Hold things and people loosely because they don't belong to you. People don't belong to people. Third, be honest and real. If you don't know, say, I don't know. 
Number four, stop complaining and be thankful. Israelites complained. You know that complaining and thankfulness biblically are two opposite. Biblically, and I can prove this to you. Thankfulness, thankfulness is how you magnify that kingdom. Complaining literally feeds the demonic realm. And learning to recognize when the Holy Spirit or the Lord is at work in a person's heart, you can learn to recognize it so you can partner with it. And this my dad has done before, and he's so outstanding at it, so I'm going to bring some of his material, some of my own, but some of his. Learning to recognize when God is actually at work. Because sometimes you can speak to a person, it's just the wrong timing. Just bless them and love them and move on. But other times, man, the questions are, it's like God is at work. Now, Lord, how do I partner with this? I hope this is practical. Number one, let's just cover this one, then we'll go. Go home. Focus on the ministry, and your ministry will come into greater clarity. Turn your affection and your action to the greater ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because as a minister of the gospel, which you all are, which you all are, a minister is there to serve others. So turn your heart outward. John didn't try to become the best baptizer. It's like, I'm going to purify this water. I'm going to have it flowing nice. I'm going to put you down there and it's going to be smooth. You're going to... What? It's, we would read that like, what's wrong with this guy? He didn't try to become the best baptizer, but he tried to become the best at testifying to the light. Behold the Lamb of God. Very big difference. It says here at verse 8, we read it, John himself was not the light, he was simply a witness to the light. And verse 12 says, but to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn. So, the world thinks there's an arrogance to believers because we say there's one way to God. And this will come up very quickly in your conversations. I would encourage you, don't make it about we're right, you're wrong. You've lost the heart right there. Get to know the gospel so deep entrenched in you that you can look at any person and adapt the gospel to their life. And believe it or not, you can already do this. It's not intellect. The Lord says, the Bible says, do not worry about what you will say. The Lord will give you what to say. But you can spend your attitude and your focus and your time, not on trying to build my gift, my ministry, on the gospel. Getting to know the gospel for real, like the ins and outs of the gospel. And the reason, only reason why there is only one way, because there is only one person who paid the price. There is only one way because there was only one person who that was prophesied about for thousands of years. There's someone coming who will do this, who will do that, who will do this, who will do And then he came and he did this and did this and did that. And he died and he rose again. He's the only one who actually died for you and paid the price for you. No other religion, no other person, no other. No one has ever done that. And from that moment, God said, it's only by him. It's only by him. It's only by him. Now, we know that, but find a way to speak to people. It's not about, well, your way is wrong and our way is right. It's not about that. 
And you'd learn that by getting to know the gospel in such a way that will confound the wisdom of the world. That it's so simple. I'll give you an example. Quick example. One verse. Take one verse. You can use this one. There's many. And, and have it so deep within you. So you start to read. And God reveals one verse. Just one verse. And it's, it, it will teach you something. And, and it'll be for you, and it'll be yours. I'll give you an example. 2 Corinthians 5.21, this is one of mine. For he made, he being God and him being Jesus, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So I encourage you, when you read something like that, ask questions. This is how you get revelation. This is how you begin, how do you get revelation from Scripture? Ask questions about everything. So, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. So I ask questions. Who's he? God. Great, there's an answer. Okay. He made, who made? God the Father. He made him. Who's him? Jesus. Okay, see how simple this is? Okay, he made Jesus, but listen to this, he made that we might become. Say this, he made that we might become. What does that mean? God the Father made Jesus something so that I could become something. See, now I'll say that, people are like, oh, I like that. But we all read it. But without asking questions... How did God make Jesus sin? How? Like, well, says God made Jesus sin. How? On the cross, God treated Jesus as if he committed every sin that any per, every person's ever committed. On the cross, God treated him as if he lived my life. But yet he was undefiled and holy. He says he was without sin. But on the cross, God treated him as if he lived my life. Why? So that I might become righteous. In other words, God treated Jesus, this is how he made him sin, as if he lived my life, so that he could treat me as if I lived his life. Now that is called good news. Okay? The gospel used to be good news. It's become good advice. Do this, don't do this, be better. That's not the gospel. That's the result of a grateful response to someone who understands the truth, the scandalous truth of the gospel. When you get to know the gospel, you can explain it to anybody, a five-year-old. Why? That's how he did it. Why did God make Jesus sin? You ever asked that? I just said, so we could be treated. Yeah, but why else? Because of his justice. One day you're going to stand before God. Every person on the earth will stand before God one day. And I'm here to tell you something. As a believer, you stand before God. In that moment, you count on his justice, not on his mercy. Why? Because there is a 
there is a divine judgment upon sin. And that judgment was put on Christ 2,000 years ago. When you stand before God one day, you stand before there someone, as someone who's already had sin judged. And therefore, you are clean. Not based on your life, based on the judgment that Christ took, although he didn't do anything wrong. And because of the justice of God, he will not, he cannot put just judgment on you because it's already been done. And it is the justice of God we can have hope in, not the mercy. Because the foundation of his throne is made up with righteousness and justice. And when you, when it's more than just a little saying, when that becomes here, real in your heart, man, you can love people because you have good news for them. It's not an argument. It's not a fight. It's not a... Uh, and you learn how to see when the Holy Spirit's doing something in their life or something in their heart. And you naturally, easily, practically can just say, hey, and just... Because you focused on the ministry, not on your ministry. Perhaps the gift and ministry that you carry won't reach that person, but someone else's will. You know how many times people come to me with like... <laughs> they're like... Oh, the singing. People who are not churched at all, which I love, they come and tell me, your speech is fine. Like you do a speech. They call it a speech or a talk. Your speech was great. That's nice. But the singing, oh, the singing. You want to say it's preaching and worship, but they're not churched. They're like, oh, the singing. It's just, it, I just there's something. So what I carry won't help them. What we carry together and what they carry will. Why would I, out of insecurity, be like, let me explain something to you. The preaching of the word. No. <laughs> Slap yourself. That's stupid. Let God do it. We'll end there. Good. Someone said good. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. He does live. He does. It was my dad who said good, I think. Jeez. Happy birthday. It's it was. So we're going to get into this next week, I guess. But there's nothing to apologize for because I would rather have that worship any day and honor the presence of the Lord. So practical attitudes, kingdom attitudes, next week. Can we stand? Dad, you want to come pray for us? His 700th birthday. <laughs> Methuselah and I were mates. Uh, <laughs> Father, we thank you so much again for just being with us, for us being with you, just for the sweetness of your presence, for the power of your word, for your ministry into our hearts and your ministry through our hearts.
we're eternally grateful. And so continue to open up the eyes of our hearts, continue to deposit your word in us, continue to strengthen us, even as was said before, put some steel in our backbone that we may walk strong for you. And we ask you this in the name of Jesus. Amen.